Well, good morning, amazing love. Great to see all of you this morning. My name's Pastor Jeff. As most of you know, I'm one of the two teaching pastors here at Amazing Love. The other is Pastor Dustin. Uh, we are continuing this morning in our series, It's Not About Me. And I don't know if Dustin announced this last week. It's actually from a book that he's writing and is about done. So I'm excited and looking forward to Pastor Dustin's book coming out. He wrote it during his sabbatical time. It'll be excited, exciting to read it. So in our worship this morning, we're going to be talking about what, what does a church look like that's filled with people who say it's not about me. And uh, we'll, we'll take a look at the Apostle Paul and his writing to a church in Corinth that actually had a little bit of an issue with it's not about me because a lot of them were making it about themselves. So We'll look and see how he handled that situation. Uh, we're going to uh, dive into prayer. Before we do, I want to point out that inside your program, there's a blue card called the Connection Card. Take a moment during the service today, if you would, please, to fill this out. And by the way, let me warmly welcome any guests or visitors that we have today that might be kicking the tires of Amazing Love for the first time. We're so excited you're here Take a moment, especially if you're a guest, to fill this out because this will allow us to connect with you. But members and regular attenders, you know the drill. This is a gr that card is a great place for your prayer requests, for any tips or questions that you have. Uh, just put your name on there. You don't have to correct all your contact information because we have you in our database. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to come apart from life, to step to the side, to get on the balcony. Our world today, Lord, you know, is a mess. And sometimes in our own spiritual lives, even emotional lives, physical lives, we are a mess personally. And so we desperately need this time to hear from you, to receive your peace and your comfort to worship and to glorify you, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit into this room 
and into our hearts and minds personally. Grow us closer to your Son, our Savior Jesus, and help us today to leave here with a deeper understanding of who you are and of your amazing love for us. Help us truly, Lord, today to worship you with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's rise for the first song. One of the things that we love to do here at Amazing Love is just take a moment to share our sins with God, to offload them. He died on the cross so that he could carry our sins. He lived the perfect life that we can't live so that we can have the gift of his life as our own before God. And so we like to take a moment as we enter our hour of worship to just unburden ourselves from sin, guilt, shame, the hurts we've caused others and the pain we've caused God through our lives. Let's, uh, let's pause. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning because we recognize that we are sinful. And as sinners, we have admittedly so fallen far short of the glory 
the bar of glory that you have set for us. We are so far from perfect, it's, it's not even funny. But Lord, uh, we come to you this morning to confess our sins, to unburden ourselves of the guilt and the shame that we feel. And Lord, first of all, just for those times when we've actively committed sins against you, even willfully committed sins against you, we seek your forgiveness, Lord. And Lord, also for those times, maybe we weren't active and willful in our sin, but we left things out that we knew we should have done. We omitted to do the things that you've called us to do as your children. We haven't lived in the light. We haven't maybe broadcast the light as you would want us to do. So Lord, for those times also, we lift up our prayers of repentance. Lord, we're in this series that's called It's Not About Me. And when I hear that title, I kind of want to just chuckle because, Lord, for me and maybe for some others in this room, there are so many times when I make it all about me. When I think of myself as the center of the universe, even the center of your universe, Lord, and try to elevate myself to the position of king of my life when really only you are the king of my life for those times Lord I'm truly sorry Lord today we're talking about the church and its mission, the Great Commission, to reach the lost with the love of Christ, to be lights in this world, for this church to be a city set on a hill. And Lord, we repent of all those times, whether personally and privately or, or as a church, as a church family together, that light has been dimmed. That light has not been broadcast as you would want it to be, and the gospel has not been made known as you've called us to make it known. Lord, for those times, too, we are sorry and we seek your forgiveness. And Lord, finally, too often, I... I'm all about seeking comfort and peace. And I've realized as I read through the scriptures how uncomfortable and how not at peace many times the apostles were, the apostle Paul was, Jesus was. These were all people, and especially your son, our Lord Jesus, who made it their mission in life to get comfortable with being uncomfortable for our sake, to show us your great love, your astounding love. And Lord, I, I pray finally that you would give me that spirit of your son Jesus, of the Apostle Paul and many others that we see in the Bible who, who got comfortable with being uncomfortable for the sake of glorifying you, for the sake of lifting up your name, for the sake of being the light of the world, Lord, I'm sorry for those times when I seek comfort and peace rather than your glory. And Lord, we lift up all these prayers of repentance to you and we seek your forgiveness, knowing that we have it fully because of Jesus' death on the cross and his powerful resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray it, amen. And please know that you are forgiven. What I just said about Jesus dying on the cross for the world of sinners is true of you. You 
are God's child bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood has washed you clean of all your sins. His perfect life was lived in your place so that he could hand that perfection in the eyes of God to you. And now you stand before God perfectly innocent and not guilty. You are God's dearly loved child bought with the blood of Jesus. Take that home and trust in it. We'll continue with the next song. I love the message of that song, and you guys just knocked that out of the park. Take a seat, make yourself comfortable for just a moment. I'll have you rise back up for the next song, but I want to read to you a little section from the book of Acts, because it's a great example of what we'll be talking about later on in today's message. The early Christians, many of them were made up of people who had been waiting for the Messiah. They were Jews who had studied God's word and knew it very well, were familiar with all God's Old Testament laws. They were kind of the equivalent of our veteran Christians in churches today. And when the gospel came and Jesus became the Savior, they had to figure out what to do as now Jesus commanded them to go out into all the world and encounter people who didn't have the same background, the same scripture knowledge that they had. And what exactly are we going to ask of these people as they become Christians? And that's the story we're going to be reading today from Acts chapter 15. There actually is a big church meeting about this. How are we going to figure this out? And uh, James, the brother of Jesus, actually ends up saying some things I think we can all learn from. So Acts chapter 15 
Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, these are the veteran believers, they stood up and said, the Gentiles, the new believers, must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God actually wants new believers to come into the church. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles, the new believers, a yoke that neither we nor, their nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Now James, the brother of Jesus, reacts to what Peter has said. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles, from, from people that haven't been reached before. It is my judgment, therefore, and this is the most important statement in here, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God, for these new believers. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So the basic laws, yes, but let's not stretch it to, to things that are just laying a big burden on people. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Let's rise again for the next song.
I'm excited for this morning's message. I hope you guys are ready because I'm energized. I've had too much coffee already this morning. Are you ready for this? All right. And this message appeals to the missionary in me. Those of you who know me know a little bit about my pastoring, know that I've spent my entire 42 years of ministry, that's a long time, basically being a missionary to different groups. So I'm hoping that between the caffeination and the natural uh, excitement that, I, that we're going to have a good time in today's message. What I want to do is I want to I start with a story. Because we know it's a tough world that we live in today. And, and, and we could, I'm sure many of us, are, our minds go right away to what's going on in Israel. Like, horrid. And before that, it was Ukraine. And so, the world's a mess. I think we can all uh, say that. But also, for many of us, our own personal lives are a little messy. And that's also true. And so I want to start with this story of a gentleman named uh, Eric Thomas. He was born in 1970. He's a pastor, um, a motivational speaker, phenomenal person, actually born right here in Chicago. Grew up uh, for much of his youth in Chicago and then moved to Detroit. That was a major upgrade for him, Chicago to Detroit. And... <laughs> Any Detroit people ready to come up to the stage? Okay, here's some. <laughs> Actually, Detroit uh, is a beautiful city in many areas. But in Detroit, Eric had a troubled relationship with his mom who had given birth to him while she was still uh, in high school. So imagine this. This is a very young lady, basically a child raising a child. And so he, he and his mom get into constant wrangles, and then the ants get involved because this is a very strong extended family, and finally he goes, I, I'm quitting you people. And he dropped out of high school, and his life from there became an even more total mess because he was homeless for many years. One day, he, on the street, met a pastor. And this pastor just came up to him and reached out to him and could see he was a very troubled young man and was struggling in life. And so he told him about Jesus. Amazing. And all of a sudden, through this gospel message that this pastor shared with him in the inner city of Detroit, Eric Thomas became a Christian. And it would be wrong to say his life dramatically turned around in a moment. It, it took a long, long time. But eventually, he took his first job at Olive Garden. Mm, good choice. That's what I would say about that first job. Much better than my first choice of uh, a snack bar at a drive-in movie theater. Major upgrade from that. So he, he is going to church, and at church, he meets this girl. That reminds me of Julie. We met at church too. So he meets this girl, Dee Dee, and eventually they get married. They move to Huntsville, Alabama, and he decides he's going to go to college at Oakwood University. He does go to college. He took 12 years to get his undergraduate degree. Because remember, he's coming from not even graduating high school, but he just kept going and persevering, and after 12 years at Oakwood University, he finally got his degree, and that was in 2001. He's 31 years old. He decides now he wants to get a master's degree. Wonder how long that's going to take. But actually, by now, he's learned how to learn, so in 2003, he uh, gets this offer from Michigan State University to come and help with some programs they have there. And while he's helping with these programs, one of the perks is you can get your master's degree for free. Bam, that's beautiful. God's blessing his life. And he goes and he gets a master's degree in K-12 school administration. And then he decides he wants to get a doctorate. So after only two years at Michigan State University, he decides to continue as he's working with... Um, an in-school retention program for kids that struggle at college like he did. 
He wants to help others not have to take 12 years to get their undergraduate degree. What a beautiful heart this guy has. Well, now he continues today to be a pastor, uh, a speaker, and he's got his doctorate degree. And he, I'm, I'm telling you his story because he says something that I think is very applicable to our church. And remember, today's theme is it's not about me. And what does that mean for us as a church family? What does it mean for us to go from what's natural? The most natural thing in the world is it's all about me. That is the very nature of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of, of, of Eden, I almost said the Garden of Gethsemane, they sinned in the Garden of Eden. And the very first thing Satan said to them was, why are you listening to God? Why do you trust that guy? Why not listen to yourself? Why not do what you want to do? So this is the most basic level. In fact, Luther says it's so basic he calls it the very root and foundation of all sin is that we as people are turned inward into ourselves and think most highly of ourselves and in effect, either by words, actions, or attitudes, make ourselves God over God. That's the nature and the root of sin. So the most natural thing in the world for you and me as fallen sinners is to say it's all about me or to think it's all about me or even not to say or think we're thinking it, but still make it all about me. And so to have a church filled with people that say, it's about me. It's about me far more than it's about Pastor Dustin. We know that, right? Right? No one wants to agree with me on that. I don't get it. Maybe it's because you've been here longer than me. I don't know. Like, this is natural, but what we're talking about is what is very unnatural. And Eric Thomas talks about the beginning of something equally unnatural that is necessary for us to stretch out of It's All About Me. So here, here's Eric Thomas' quote. To get to that next level, remember, he's gone from, you know, homelessness to doctorate degree. And he's observed how he got from one level to the next level to the next level to the next level. And his observation is to get to that next level, wherever you're at, whatever next level that is for you, you got to learn to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And you know why I'm so frustrated today? Because the guy who says that constantly at this church didn't make it today, but thank you for taking a picture so that you can show it to him. (laughs) He's here every Sunday. But I'm telling you, this is true. That if we want to accomplish as a church the things that we've set out to accomplish, and do you know what those are? To reach the lost with, anybody want to help me finish it? To reach the lost with the love of Christ. You know what the the vision is? Share timeless truths in a timely manner. That's our vision as a church. To take the solid foundation of the scripture truth, but share it in a way that's relatable to today, relevant to today. And I've got a Luther quote about that later. That vision for this church is actually a very Christian thing, to share timeless truths in a timely manner and to create environments for the gospel so that that can be done. It's so important that we understand that's our mission, and if we want to get to the next level and the next level and the next level, I'm just going to tell you, we got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, which is, I think you can see, the very opposite of, of being comfortable and, and wanting the, the church to be all about me and what I want. So let's ask ourselves a simple question because we're studying Paul's writing to the Corinthians this morning. He's writing to a church that was struggling with this, that loved to be comfortable, 
that love making it all about them. And so Paul's preaching a message. So the logical question, I think, is what about Paul himself? I mean, was he practicing what he preached? Was he comfortable with being uncomfortable? Well, actually, we have a number of places in the New Testament that answers that question. I'm going to share just one with you. In uh, 2 Corinthians, we get this description. Same group of people he's writing to, but a second letter. Though I am free and belong to no one in Christ, I have made myself a slave to everyone. I put myself in a very uncomfortable position of being a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Here's the whole goal. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. I bent myself like Gumby to be able to win people for the gospel, to win people to Jesus. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this, why? For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of going to the next level, I make myself uncomfortable. That I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. This, this is what Paul is saying to us, that it's so vital for us to understand that in order for this church to be a church that reaches the loss with the love of Christ, we have to connect some dots. And you know what those dots connect to? Reach the lost with the love of Christ? Are you ready? Because this is very challenging. It's challenging to your sinful nature. It's challenging to what's right in front of us. The challenge is, when the loss for the love of Christ directly connects with being uncomfortable. It directly connects with, well, then it can't be all about me. I'm in order for this church to win the loss with the love of Christ means I'm going to have to set myself aside. And I'm going to have to think about Christ. And I'm going to have to think about these people who don't... Remember Acts chapter 15. We read it earlier. The Pharisees are like, these people got to do everything. If that means surgery and circumcision, that's what they got to do. And Paul and James and Peter and all these people say, nope. Some of you guys are squirming in your seats right now thinking about being circumcised at age whatever. Can you imagine the discomfort? And I'm only saying that because the things that we challenge people to do, it's hard enough asking people to be a Christian. It's not unhard to be a Christian with no extra requirements. In fact, it's kind of true that it's impossible for us to live up to God's law every day. And that's why we repent of our sins. So the point I'm making here is, why would we lay extra burdens on people? And as was said in Acts 15, burdens that we ourselves can't bear. So let's, let's go on and let's think about Eric's quote, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And let's realize that what we're doing is the Great Commission. We all get that, reach the lost with the love of Christ. But today is about how. How do you go about that? What's the best way, what attitudes, what approaches do we need to have if we're going to say our vision is to reach the lost with the love of Christ? That's, our, that's what we want to do. So let's, uh, let's look again at those, those uh, verses 9, 19 to 24. You had them up here. Let's look at them again because I want to point some things out. Look, Paul says, I understand in the gospel, I've been freed from my sins, from my guilt, my shame, and... I'm, I'm free to just simply follow Jesus. But now that I'm free to just simply follow Jesus, what's happened is I'm so grateful. 
that I am totally willing to flex. And here's what I want you to, to write down. The church, we, the church family, is meant to be fast, fluid, and flexible. Now, once again, let's ask ourselves, was Paul fast, fluid, and flexible? <laughs> Read through the book of Acts. I challenge you to go home today with this question in your mind was, the Apostle Paul, who's encouraging us toward this, was he fast, fluid, and flexible? What about the time when he started his first missionary journey and people started throwing rocks at him in each city? Did he have to change his plan a little bit? What about the time when he was thrown in prison thinking he's going to go on preaching the gospel, but instead he gets arrested? And, and then he's condemned and the Jews want to kill him but then he appeals to Caesar and he has no real good way of getting there so once again he's got to be fast fluid and flexible and I mean I could go on and on and on and he basically hitchhikes a ride with a Roman guard to Rome and on the way he's bitten by a poisonous viper which becomes an occasion for a miracle like read Acts and what you're going to see is an entire story of an apostle constantly flexing. Constantly saying, we, we got to go fast because there's a lot of people to reach. We can't be burdened with a lot of unnecessary fluff here. We can't be requiring things of people that even God does not require of them. We can't add stuff to God's law. It's hard enough being a basic, a basic Christian. And so Paul's whole life exemplifies the churches that he started. He's constantly telling them, be fast, be fluid, be flexible. So he, here's the thing that I think we have to think about as we, as we look at this. We are all freed from our sins, but now, as Paul says, we get to be a slave, a slave to everyone, and put ourselves last. Look at um, 2 Corinthians 6, 3-10. Put that up. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, Paul writes, so that our ministry will not be discredited Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots. Is this comfort? In hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. In purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. That was Paul's mindset toward church. And so the challenge for us, is, is pretty obvious, isn't it? Is that my mindset toward church? It's, it's October, so I think I can bring up um, a zombie movie, right? I don't know how many of you have ever seen World War Z, the Brad Pitt kind of scary movie about zombies. Well, there's an interesting illustration in, in this movie, World War Z. I, I don't highly recommend the movie. I'm not a big fan of zombie movies, but I will tell you this. There's a very interesting interaction in this, in this movie because we all know that change is hard. And bringing new people into our church family represents change for those of us who've been here for a while. And so... You know, how do we move? How do we become fast, fluid, and flexible? Well, first of all, it's, it's believing that it's important to be fast, fluid, and flexible. And, and some of the things that fight against this are mentalities that say things like, change for the sake of change isn't good. Or, or that say, change might be inevitable, but we should take it slowly and carefully. 
or attitudes that say we shouldn't change if we're going to leave people behind. These are things we tell ourselves. These are things I've told myself. And, and yet, in this movie, World War Z, there's a, a guy, the Brad Pitt character, Jerry. He's trying to give advice to a couple who have sort of dug in and are planning to just fight off whatever zombies come their way. And Brad Pitt's character, Jerry, says, this is the wrong approach. You got to move. And he uses this little phrase, movement is life. I want you to remember that phrase. Movement is life. Because that young couple that Jerry is talking to decide, no, dig in, create a little fortress, keep things the way they are, and it doesn't end well for them. In fact, the only people who survive in that movie, on the one hand, are the people who don't move fast frequently. And, and if you think about it, what does that mean? Every zombie in that movie is a zombie because they've made the decision to dig in and not to move fast. Are there zombie churches in our world today? Churches that seem to be alive, but really they're dead? I'm going to tell you, I've met some of those churches, and this is no judgment. We, we love everyone here. But the way for us to become a zombie church right here is to forget that movement is life. And, and what a zombie church looks like is people are still there, but they don't have any concern to reach the lost with the love of Christ. And to realize that reaching the lost with the love of Christ is going to mean movement and change. My own leadership changed dramatically. When I, I went to a church, visited some church leaders, and, and saw them literally practicing this, this precept of being fast, fluid, and flexible. And that church was vibrant, and it was growing, and people were hearing the gospel. And therefore, it is a church that continues today to be very alive. And that's what we want for this church. Let me, let me show you a quote, and this is going to be challenging. Some of you are not going to agree with this quote. Okay, are you ready? It's going to start with, don't mess with the truth. All right, we got it? Don't mess with God's truth. Principles never change. You want to know where we want to be dug in? On the Bible. On the message of the Bible, on what the Bible teaches, on law and gospel, on the commandments, on God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Let's dig in there. Let's never change that. But look what he says next. Do, highlighted, mess with any system, structure, strategy that becomes ineffective in carrying out the mission. Don't flex on God's word. Those are eternal principles. Be ready to change anything that doesn't support the sharing of those. Let's go to the next slide. This is the part where you may struggle. If it's dead, bury it. If it's broken, fix it. Scrap it or replace it. If it's not growing, diagnose it. If it's comfortable, challenge it. If it's a strategy that looks like a middle-aged son still living in his mother's basement whose only job is playing video games, raise its rent and kick it the heck to the curb when it no longer pays up. Guys, I'm, I'm just going to admit, this is hard stuff. I, I'm going to tell you, I love traditional worship. I love liturgy. I miss my gown. You might think, oh, he looks so comfortable up there in his jeans. I mean, I've gotten comfortable. I've been doing it for over 20 years now. I still remember when my knees clacked together the first time I put on a gown at the seminary and had to lead a a liturgy, and that embedded in me this, this love of the traditional. 
You think I don't struggle with this as strongly as I might be preaching? You're wrong. I struggle mightily with it, just as any of you do. But I've learned you got to move to stay alive. you got to be fast, fluid, and flexible. Otherwise, things are not going to keep going and growing in your church because the church, being fast, fluid, and flexible, has got to meet people where they are. So that's what I want you to write down. Now, that's a lot. I will admit that's a lot. But let's take just very quickly the last couple verses in this. And what we're going to learn from Paul, why is he so fast, fluid, and flexible? Because for Paul, it's all about the gospel. It's all about how can I hug more people in heaven? It's all about how can I get more people developing their Christian faith and their love of Jesus right here, right now? How can more people experience the peace that I experience because I know Jesus? How can more people enjoy the forgiveness of my sins, the way of their sins, the way I enjoy the forgiveness of mine? How can I get more people to understand God has prepared eternal life, a banquet that goes on forever and ever? And it's probably not just eating, by the way, although that's not bad. Do we not want other people to be where we are? Or is it enough for us just to be disciples? And now we're good because we're disciples. We know Jesus' love. We're going to heaven. It's, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to warn you. Jesus is changing your heart. And if it's enough for you today, there will come a time when it's not enough for you. There's coming a time, I'm warning you, when the Holy Spirit is so going to work on your heart that you're going to go, what have I been doing? Have I really been living out my life's purpose? Because I was satisfied being a disciple. And you, like Paul, are going to click over and go, holy cow. I need to make disciples. And, and that's because when your heart is filled with this idea of it's all about the gospel, the way Jesus was, why did he die on the cross? To make the gospel. To create the good news. Why did he rise again? To give us hope and joy and peace and eternity. That's Jesus' whole life for you, but not just for you for you and for others that God has placed around you in your life. The church is meant to be both uh, driven by and directed toward Jesus' love. And here's a couple of, couple of things I want you to think about. The church is meant to be driven by and directed toward God's love. Carl F.H. Henry wrote this, the gospel is, or sorry, this is John Piper. Good, thank you for putting that up first. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that the everlasting and ever-increasing joy of the never-boring, ever-satisfying Christ is ours freely and eternally. Just study that. Freely and eternally, everlasting and ever-increasing joy is yours. And that's never boring, he says. It's ours freely and eternally by faith in the sin-forgiving death and hope-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful way to put the gospel. And now, here's the, the quote. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. All right, just leave that up. Do you see what he's saying? Is there not an urgency to reaching the lost with the love of Christ? Is there not an urgency, a right nowness, or maybe even a should have started yesterday, yesterday-ness to this aspect of I want other people to know about Jesus and his love and his forgiveness and his gift of eternal life. One on the cross, cemented in by his resurrection, but it does no good if it just sits there not being shared. And when it doesn't reach people in time. 
So the church is driven by and directed at Jesus' love. Final point. We are meant as Christians to run to win. Look at what Paul, look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do 9.24, the next one. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. All about the gospel, but run hard. Be comfortable being uncomfortable. See to it that you understand that this is a race that you're in and that you're not racing just to get around the track. We're racing and running and making the effort to win. And what does, what does winning look like? Well, winning looks like, and I, I kind of mentioned this a little sideways a moment ago, winning looks like disciples who make disciples. If we want to look at amazing love and ask ourselves, is this church really alive? Is it really winning? I want, I want to show you Matthew 28. Put Matthew 28. You might be familiar with this verse. We call it the Great Commission, but maybe you haven't studied the context of it. Who is Jesus speaking to when he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations? He's speaking to the 11 disciples who are left, not Judas. There have been 12, Judas left. Then the 11 disciples, so Jesus speaking to disciples, went to Galilee, the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, he says to his disciples... Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you see what I'm trying to show you here? From the very beginning, when Jesus commanded outreach, he was talking to disciples and telling disciples, make disciples. That was the win. That was the original win. And when Paul goes out in all of his messaging, he's never just trying to make disciples. He's trying to make disciples who will make disciples. That's the constant win of the church. That's the present win of our church, amazing love. Disciples making disciples. So will you, will you write, write that down? The church wins by making disciples who make disciples. That's how we run to win. I shared at the open forum last week that I believe God wants to bless his church. For those of you here, you might remember that. I, I was looking at some things that, that have happened. The, the growth of our church, the things that God has been doing here, some behind the scenes, some clearly in front of all of us. And I, I do really believe that. I, I said I'm not a prophet, and I'm still not a prophet one week later. God is not, he didn't come to me in a dream. He didn't put me in a fiery chariot and lift me up so that I could be like the prophet Elijah. I'm the dumbest, weakest preacher in the world. And yet, I do have eyes. And the eyes that I'm looking at this church with tell me there are so many signs of life and a willingness to move, to be fast, fluid, and flexible, to be disciples who make disciples. That's what I see in you. And I want you to be encouraged that I can see it. Dustin can see it. And I, and I think it's so important for us to understand, once again, why are we doing that? Who was the original fast, fluid, and flexible guy? Is he not the one who came down from heaven and became incarnate? 
Dustin talked to us a little bit about this last week. How much change is that for Jesus? Who's, who's the one who came because he so loved sinners? The one, isn't it, who said, I'm here for the sick. I'm here for the sinners. I'm here for the lost. Is it, is it not Jesus who said those things? And are we not grateful because that's who we are? And he came for us. Who's the original one? We just read it. Who said, I want to make disciples who make disciples. Who's the one who ran to win all the way through the cross to the empty tomb? For you and for me. It's Jesus. He's done all that for us. And how can we, being saved and redeemed and having this wonderful gift of eternal life, look at our Savior and say, I, I don't know, Jesus, if I can be fast, fluid, and flexible. I'm happy enough just being a disciple. I could go on and on. I won't. It's time to wrap up. But here's what I'm going to say. This Jesus who loves you, he is empowering you at the same time by his Holy Spirit to do everything we've talked about. It's how Paul did it. And by the Holy Spirit, we will do it as individuals and together as a church too. Because I am confident that for all of you in this room, despite the sin in us, you can very, very honestly say, because of Jesus, it's not about me. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be here and to learn once again how you did not make it about yourself or your son at all. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for redeeming us from our sins. And Lord, inspire in us that same spirit that it's not about me. It's about you, Lord. And help us to realize, as we heard at the very beginning of this message, it's going to mean uncomfortable times for us, but that's okay. Because in your gospel message, driven by the gospel and, and pointed toward the gospel, Lord, we pledge to you, we are getting comfortable being uncomfortable. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you join with me in the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.